the cherry on top of the greatest F1 season ever seen. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Nineteen wins in an F one season. Nineteen. Okay. <laughs> normal. Totally normal. Hey gang. Ah, Dre Harrison here. Back at it with episode four eighty seven of Motorsport one hundred and one. I'm friendly neighbor's host, Dre Harrison, as ever. Um, and yeah, glad you could join us for another pair of episodes from the final week of mainstream motorsport this year. It's all like- it's we're we're finally done here it's been a long long year don't worry it's totally not going to be even longer next year thumbs up emojis god help us all (laughs) oh man like it's been a long old year and we're about to put a neat little bow on it we'll see how we go over the next couple of weeks or so but we made it. We're at the finish line. And for the next two episodes, we're going to wrap up and put a neat little bow on uh, F1 and MotoGP seasons here in 2023. First up, we'll be talking about F1 in Abu Dhabi. And joining me, as ever, first and foremost, Mr. RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. Hello. Uh, spent the weekend with friends in Boston this mm. weekend. Um I I finally got to see with my own eyes the uh, the famous gas station sign behind the green monster at Fenway, but I have not set foot in the baseball stadium. Really, got to change that. Yeah, I need I need to at some point. You know, there there was a team that played in Boston long ago that occasionally makes homecomings, but you know, affording tickets is hard. And as we just said, motorsport season is very, very busy, and we all work on call every weekend. Oh, More sick. or less. Yeah, this, uh, a weekend off wouldn't hurt every once in a while, but that just doesn't happen in this space anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, it's full speed ahead. We want all the racing. We're going to get it. Gosh dang it. All of them. Like it's it's not like it's not like Formula One and MotoGP and Formula E, three of the four series we cover are um, all going to be having their biggest seasons ever next year. Nope. Oh, good Lord. I'm just glad that Super GT is just staying at eight. You know, they just decided Mm. we did eight back in 2011. We decided that's all we need going forward, baby. (laughs) Sometimes less is more. Isn't that right, Cam Buckley? Um, Not in the case of this season. How many more (laughs) records can my records break? More records. <laughs> they can't bring more. any more now because the season's over. Bold to the, assume. The, the, there's a few that can still carry over. I'll get to that because I, I, I have a full list I, co- I, I concocted for WTF1 earlier in the week. Oh, and uh, boy, let me tell you, there is a list. It's a freight train of, of records. Um, which we'll get to in a minute. But of course, we've got to talk a little about Abu Dhabi as a race in general. It was a race that certainly happened. And then, to be fair, it wasn't the worst race we've had all year. It was fine. There was some intriguing strategy. Yuki Sonoda put the whole race on his back. Bless his heart. Yeah! <laughs> driver of the day, Yuki Sonoda. First Yuki. time in his career as a driver of the day. Yuki Sonoda led laps and multiplied Japan's count of laps led in Formula One. Fun fact, Japan is a country that only ever led two laps in F1 history before 
this past weekend. And they were all Takuma Sato. European Grand Prix 2004, I want to say it was, um, with the Nürburgring. Um, but yeah, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. Max Verstappen's record-breaking win and record-breaking season. Um, so yeah, that's fun. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the fight for second in the Constructors' Championship, because that actually did have a semi-intriguing ending. Um, and Charles Leclerc almost being a bit too clever for his own good. We'll get into some of that as well. We'll wrap up some of the main title fights. And we'll talk a little bit about Formula 2, because uh, there's been a lot of a stink kicked up um, over one of the tweets I put out there this weekend, saying we all should be more mad at the Formula 2 situation. Because, hey, Theo Porcher. 2023 Formula 2 champion. Good for him. Um, delighted for him. A real good, happy story. A delightful young man. Feel good yeah. victory, but probably won't make Formula 1, which makes me very sad. Um, and, the best I uh, can do is super formula. Get ready to learn indie lights, buddy. Um, Etc. Um, it's, it's, so we'll talk a little bit about that problem again at, towards the end of the show. But places you can find us real quick we are on twitter at motorsport underscore 101 our personal handles are at dre underscore wtf1 at rj o'connell and at c buckley 917 you can follow the pod on instagram uh, at motorsport 101 pod as well and all of those details will be on our website motorsport 101.com if you'd really like us as well, you can back us financially on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. You can back us at the $5 level um, where you can get early access to all of our episodes. You can back us at the $10 level to get into the supporters club of our Discord server and listen to these episodes live as they're being recorded. I have heard there is some problems with Riverside, so being able to listen in live, um, I will pass some feedback onto those guys as well, because that's a little bit frustrating as we're offering it as a perk, and yet the site has let us down. It's frustrating. Um, also, yes, if you want bonus thoughts on both this race and MotoGP, and trust me, I don't normally push it this hard. The MotoGP race review is the biggest one I've ever written on the website. It is nearly 3,000 words deep, because... There is so much that happened in MotoGP this past Dre, week. Did you, Dre, did you think about splitting this into multiple articles? I did. Mm-hmm. The thought, <laughs> like, thought uh, did cross my mind. It's <laughs> like, just out of nowhere, a relatively tame dot, dot, dot race weekend turns into vending machine of news falling out of the sky. Intrigue. Yeah, scandal. Yeah, one of the emphasis on scandal. Yeah, we're going to be recording the MotoGP episode straight after this one. I've got a feeling it might go ninety minutes. It, there is, it is massively newsworthy that there and was. Can I, can I just say as well, partially, mm. we're glad to be wrong about something on this. Absolutely, I thought MotoGP was going to be a stinker. Turns out it was the better race, and there is actually a hell of a lot of newsworthy stuff to talk about off the back of that final weekend. Um, absolutely mad stuff. So if if you're a bike fan, please listen to the next episode as well because this is going to be about as intriguing as you get um, for a MotoGP episode. Because I can't remember the last time there's been so much news to come off the back of one weekend, including. Sessions, including Mark Marquez's bonkers Valencia test, and as I like to say, funny money. That'll all be coming up in the next episode. So do listen to that if you do get a chance as well. So without further ado, let's get into 
Formula One in Abu Dhabi. Well, uh, meet the new boss. It's the same as the other 18 bosses. Abu Dhabi was another case of Max Verstappen's smooth sailing. For the 12th time this season, he qualified on pole. And for the 19th time this season, he went on to win. The 54th of his career to put him past Sebastian Vettel and on the third on the all-time wins list. There's two men in history with more wins than Max Verstappen, and he's 26 years old. He went into 2021 with 10 wins, Dre. (laughs) Yeah, remember when when the the three wins at a cloud of dust was as good as it would ever get for this guy for, like, his entire Red Bull tenure? This ties a neat little bow on top of a absurd season. And basically, once they bolt the hard, bolted the hard tires on, he just pulled away from Leclerc and George Russell in the back half of the race. Death by a thousand cuts. Dre. Zarbon. Two or three more. Two or three, two or three more. more. Two or three more. <laughs> Dre, uh, I don't. Let's not waste time. You prepared no. us some numbers on how good all this was for Matt Verstappen, the greatest individual season for a Formula One driver in the history of the sport. You can thank my bosses at WTF1 for this one, but uh, yes, I, I, went, I went stat digging on this one, and these are, like, and brace yourselves, this is going to get ugly. This get is the full list of records that Max Verstappen has either extended or broken over the course of 2023. So let's, let's, get, let's get the easy ones out of the way. Most wins in a season, 19, yeah. beating the record he had last year of 15. The highest win percentage in a single season, 86.3%, because he won 19 out of 22 this year. It beats Alberto Ascari's record from 1952 when he won six out of eight. The most consecutive wins in a row, we all saw that at Monza when he won 10 straight from Miami through to Monza. That means Max went nearly four months unbeaten in the middle of this season. Um, 10 in a row beating Sebastian Vettel's nine from 2013. You've got to remember these days speech streak, as I like to call it. Um, You know, uh, he beat his own podium record from 2021. People forget the 21 season. He had 18 podium finishes that year. He pushed that out to 21 this season. The only race he didn't finish on the podium was Singapore. He came in fifth. Everything else was either first or second. There wasn't even a third place this year. Um, So 21 podiums on the year. The most consecutive points scored. Um, he has now scored 1,004 consecutive points without stopping. He That is a record that used to be held by Lewis Hamilton. Hamilton, this was over three seasons, that Lewis Hamilton scored 998 consecutive points between the British Grand Prix in 2018 and... Uh, Bahrain 2020 during COVID season. Um, so yeah, it's a new, a new record there. Most consecutive points scored, 1,004. Most points in a season, 575. Ooh, that's a lot, even accounting for point inflation. Even for point inflation. I mean, look, the old record was 454 that Max had last year in 2022. <laughs> he's, he's put 121 on it. I, I, I just... It's, it's almost the equivalent of five more wins. 
um, on the on the same number of Grand Prix and sprints, which is just ridiculous. It's the highest percentage of points available in a season. It's ninety two point seven percent of all available points he could have scored. Um, again, his record, he, he broke his own record from last year. He had 76.1 last year, and that was already an F1 record all time. Um, he's extended that to nearly impossible numbers. The most laps led in a single season, 1,003, <clears throat> which also ties in neatly to most perc- highest percentage of laps led in a season, 75.7%. You could pluck out any lap at random, across this season, there's a three in four chance Max Verstappen led it. The old record was 71.4 by Jim Clark in 1963. The most laps in a season record was uh, 739 from Sebastian Vettel in 2011, that season. Um, as Jason Quarry points out in the chat, 1,003 was the same as Prost and Senna led in the MP4 season of 35 years ago in 1988. Combined. Uh, that's how many laps Max led. Um, most wins from pole in a season, 12. Uh, the old record was nine. Nigel Mantle and Sebastian Vettel owned that, 92 and 2011 respectively. Um, the most races left before winning the title. Because remember, he won the he won the title at the Qatar Sprint Race. So he tied Michael Schumacher's record of earliest title win. Six Grand Prix left on the table. Um, Michael did it in 2002, where he won the French Grand Prix to win the title and um, did it with six rounds to spare. That was round 11 of a 17-race season. Well, more on that later. Most sprint wins in a season. That's an obvious one. Four out of six. He beat his record of three from last year. He's now led the championship for 39 races in a row. Beat the record that Michael Schumacher had from... Because Schumacher led 37 straight from 2000 in the US to the 2002 Japanese Grand Prix. So Max has now gone 39 straight rounds since straight leading the championship. That's going back to Spain 2022 last year when he took advantage of Leclerc's engine blowing up. Um, There's a few more here. Um, Biggest championship winning margin, 290 points. Thumped him two to one. Sergio Perez got curb stomped two to one. Um, the previous record was 155. That was Vettel over Alonso in 2013. Um, this was 290 points, the margin of victory for Max this year. Um, the longest streak of converting pole into the win. He's gone six, 16 races in a row going back through last season. Now Max has won from pole. In, 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 as a, Wait, as, Max's polls or Charles Leclerc's polls? Both. Um, oh. <laughs> all five races that Charles Leclerc qualified on pole in this year, Max would go on to win. Final fun fact there for you. There's a bonus one for you. Um, Max became the third driver in history, just the third driver in history, to finish every single racing lap of a calendar season. The only two times that's ever happened was Michael Schumacher again, 2002. And Lewis Hamilton's 2019, where he, he raced every single lap, didn't lose a single lap all year, no DNFs, no lost laps, nothing. Um, and here's another quirky one I thought you might like. Most pit stops by a winning driver in a race. Six in Zandvoort. He went through the pit six times in that race um, and still would go on to win. It ties probably one of the most famous modern races of all time. You can probably guess which one it is. Go on, fellas. <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to do it to you. 
Yes, it's Canada 2011. Uh, Jensen <laughs> Button within the 2011 Canadian Grand Prix. It's It still stings to this day. But Jensen went through the pits six times that race, and that's the only other time it's been done where someone's gone through the pits six times and won a Grand Prix. Also a little quirky one as well. He's the uh, he's the first man in history to win three Grand Prix in the same country in a year because he did win all three races on American soil. Um, uh, I need a smoke break now. It's it, it's it's funny. I'd say all this, and the question in my notes was, "Gents, is this the greatest F one season ever?" As if I need any further, you know, argument to be had about this. You left one out. That was that was in a headline from race fans. Oh, that it? he could have taken the entire back half of the season off and still had a decent shot to win the championship. I don't know. He would he would have won the title. If he had uh, if yeah. he had taken Belgium off, Belgium forward off, which is just oh. If Max Verstappen decided after the Belgian Grand Prix, right, I've done all I need to do this season. I am going to go back home and work on my sim racing career. I'm gonna go like practice like portrait painting. Like I'm gonna go sail around the world with my partner. Uh, he could have come back and realized, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a three-time Formula One world champion right now. Another mm. trophy for the mini fridge. <sighs> yeah, just, just it's it's uh, the only thing. I've got two main points I wanted to make on this. Number one, for me, there's no argument. This is the most dominant, greatest F1 season from a driver and from a team. I've ever seen it reminded me of and as a Jamaican this means a lot to me um Berlin 2009 the World Athletics Championships when Usain Bolt ran that 9.58 world record that still stands to this day might stand forever as one of the most untouchable sporting records of all time um the BBC's got a great athletics commentator called Paul Dickinson has been doing it for 30 plus years and he has seen some shit in the world of athletics in the three decades he'd been covering it and when he saw the time at 9.58 he turned to, to another great legend of British athletics, Steve Cram and he just says I've never seen anything like this before and I'm unlikely to ever again yes there's every chance that the Red Bull might still be this dominant next year there's every possibility but it's not just the winning it's not just the outrageous stats it's the execution for me that stands out more than anything else like from every element of this team was on was firing on all cylinders all year long they did not give anybody an inch singapore was the only weekend as such a freak outlier and unique circuit that was the only race they didn't win all year and even then i think there were still ways they could have won it if safety cars had fallen a certain way this like i talk about it before the strategy department of hannah schmitz at the front absolutely perfect pretty much all year long um the mechanics and the pit crew 
outstanding all year long. DHL has their own pit stop championship. Red Bulls won that too. Uh, um, you yeah, know, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, do, do, does Red Bulls pit crew get like enough credit like this? Because we, because like the cynics will always say that Verstappen is a car merchant, but like we need to start adding Red Bull pit crew merchant to this because they're the best of the pits. Because, because it was everything because yeah. it, it, in this, and I, I, I I can scarcely believe reading this, but after 35 years, the MP44 has been dethroned. Mm. The RB19 is statistically the greatest Formula One car ever devised. But mm. it did, it wasn't always like that on paper. A lot of times, they actually weren't the quickest car over a lap. No. The, the X factor of this car was the race pace and the tire wear and just the sheer punishing execution by car driver pit crew pit wall um the reliability engineers no mechanical retirements on the season zero they were, they were, um, they were perfect they, they 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 were a bit more vulnerable last year when max had two hydraulic failures early doors and and perez's car conked out in bahrain this year perfect essentially yeah. Um, I mean, to shatter effectively ever rec- every record in the book, I mean, fair, I swear your face was turning blue, reading <laughs> off all the records. Um, I tried to, mm. to stomp out any notion of a competitive season in Bahrain to the point where Mercedes canned the season on the spot. I mean, even at the height of their dominance. Mercedes did not execute every single race across a season like this. They were good for two or three howlers a season. They I mean, just yeah. gave up nothing. It's it's like the early days of that Merck's V8 the turbo hybrid dominance when then this era started in 2014. Like Red Bull pretty much won three races in 2014 five gimmies. You know, other, other mechanical retirements or drivers hitting each other. That was the story for the first entire year of the Turbo Hybrid. 2015, Seb won a couple of rounds on merit. Um, 2016, again, 16 was arguably their magnum opus. They won 19 out of 21 that year, and it still pales in comparison to what this has been. This has been flawless. It's, 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 it's as near to flawless as you will ever see. Like I said, even if they keep this level of dominance for next year, which they've got every chance given they've poured all their resources into next year's car and haven't touched this one since the summer break. That's which is, again, thing, Dre, terrifying. Right? That's yeah, another yeah. thing, right? <laughs> they did this, and regardless of what the dummies on the socials will tell you, a cost cap penalty that involves you losing 10% of your aerodynamic allocation is a big friggin' deal in this sport. It's, it's significant. Imagine if this Red Bull was 10% better. What Dude, would the season have looked like that? This sport, this sport would have been so close. <laughs> it already is. It already is. I mean, the RB20 is already loading. Um, but just the absolute ruthlessness and efficiency with which all parties involved executed this season. We haven't seen just a complete upending of the sport across every aspect of an operation since, like, Ferrari in 02. 
that's the yeah. only year I'd even put in this conversation. Because like it's, it's in my notes, Michael's 2002 is the only year I would put in the same ballpark or postcode. Like Alberto Ascari's 52 was great, but it was only over eight seasons. This was over 17 in 2002. Again, Michael's 02 was ridiculous. He started that year in the 01 car and and just racked. Again, it was suffocating. He would just rack, He finished the entire season on the podium in 2002. He they were dominant to the still. point that they were bringing the sport into disrepute. Yeah, they were dominant to the point that Formula One was trying to patch in rules to try and keep this from happening. Yeah, they were so scared that Ferrari dominance would kill the sport outright that they spent the next three years trying to bring them down a peck. They finally got there in 2005 for a year, and then Michael Nitty came back and still 106. Um, it's 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 it, That's the kind of dominance that we're talking about, one that rattles the foundations of the cages of the entire sport as a whole. That's That's how ridiculous this season has been. Like, Max is superhuman. Like people want people quickly he, want metronome. to say like people want to say that this is oh the team suited towards him. No, it's just he is absolutely incredible at extracting the maximum amount of performance out of a car that is difficult to drive. That's another thing that I was gonna bring up because we talked about it many, many times throughout the show. You know, we've talked a lot about how Sergio Perez has not been able to match up. And, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, oh, Sergio Perez is not able to get his qualifying way down the order in a in the best car that ever was. I really think that this is a masterclass of the drive. Yes, the car is fantastic. There's no question about that. But we got to give we we all as a whole have got to give some credit to Max Verstappen, who is the most complete driver in the sport right now. Yeah, I mean, on days where the car didn't may, maybe didn't have enough in the second half of the season, given they can development, Max made the difference. He found on days On days where Max was scruffy and Max didn't have enough, the car and the team made the difference. Um, and that is really as much as you can ask from any entity in this sport, is they cover all of their weaknesses. Pretty that's much you, ruthlessness. Uh, that's, that's, ruthless that's, how win, that's how you win championships. You you win them on your bad days, not your good ones. And Red Bull had one bad day all year. And even then, it wasn't a disaster. Um, it's... it's look, we, don't we, even, are, we don't even talk about shit like, you know, him finding ways to throw away easily winnable results of Monaco anymore because he clips too much of the inside of the barrier. That 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 qualifying lap, that sector three in that's, Monaco, that's the is, lap of the year, as far as I'm concerned. He, he turned on no clip, Dre. Yeah, he, he was like, he I'm gonna road. ride. He, he wall rode round sector three, got through Rascas, and stole pole from Fernando Alonso's hands. And Alonso probably wins that race if he's on pole to start it off. Like you all know that Monaco qualifying is everything, and Max pulled out the best last sector. There's up the last sector he should have had in Saudi Arabia in 2021. That's where it was. He found it. Um, look, we are witnessing one of the greatest of all time here. Three, look, if if you have three championships, three consecutive championships, you've won 44 Grand Prix in three years, including statistically, arguably the two greatest F1 seasons we've ever seen back to back before your 27th birthday. You are special on 
any level on any context without any nuance or asterisk at the internet with LH usernames and Winger Spices want to put out there on Twitter. This man is special on any argument. He is one of the 10 greatest racing drivers of all time now, and he is not 10. And I will happily say this as a, as a Sebastian Vettel fan who had to fight for that man's approval for years and years and years. And Cam knows this. He's been friends with me for a long time. He knows how, how badly I had to defend that man at times. Right? I've, I've been in the trenches right next to you. Max is probably better than him. And that's a terrifying thought, given that... that, that Dre, he's practically had... He's had Ayrton Senna's statistical career minus the pole positions in a three-year span. What? Yeah. Three championships, championships and 41 wins with Senna's career. Yeah, more wins. And just dismantling the record book systematically. Yeah, there's the pole there's reason why he's the only one left. Yeah. There's yeah, the, the pole position is really the only record that he doesn't have. But like, the guy's one of one. It, yeah. it, be, it literally began with him being the one of one case of him being too barely old enough to compete in Formula One, breaking into the sport as a seventeen year old, and, th- and half the people are thinking he's good enough to do it, and the other half's thinking I don't know. I, I, I openly admit I was never a believer. I thought Eddie Jordan was talking out of his ass when he when he first saw him in, in as as a seventeen year old rookie. I didn't see it. I thought he was a a a battering ram you know, who lacked refinement. Raw speed maybe, but I never thought that he All could the be raw this. speed in the world, but unable to harness it properly and really I think in the development of all this, <coughs> you have to look at basically the 2020 season where he spent most of the year thinking about what he was going to have for dinner because he was all he was 15 seconds behind the Mercs and 15 seconds ahead of everyone else. And <laughs> I think one of the one of the best things that I think he could have learned in that time frame. Man, he has made t- Sergio Perez's tire management a non-factor. That's yeah. crazy. He's not a fighter. It doesn't exist anymore because Max is just as good, if not better at it. We saw it in Miami. He was going faster than Checo on 20-lap older tires. That's when I knew it was over. I, as soon as I saw that, I was like, this championship's done. If if Max can beat you that comprehensively, Beating you at your own game in your in essentially your own backyard at your signature skill as a racing driver, it's over. That's it. I knew right there and then it was done. I was like, "There's no way Paris is going to beat him over a season now. Not a chance." And it ended up being the biggest championship beaten in Formula One history. And let's not forget, Perez was only down by six after Baku, and that was five rounds in. Yeah, it's all just the been, damage was done after. It's Dre, been an onslaught ever since. Dre, you talk about it, the fact that, mm. you know, you were not one of the believers early on. Mm. Do you think the the end, resu- the end result, as it stands after 2023, matches the hype that you heard, or is it even better? It's better. It's unprecedented. <laughs> we, 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 we're in uncharted territory, statistically. We have never seen anything like this before. Like, 
Hamilton has had an all-time great season in the conversation. That was 2019. It was not this. <laughs> it, it, like, 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 Hamilton won 11 Grand Prix that year. Not 19. Nine, like, it's 2022 had an argument as one of the greatest F1 seasons ever. He's just kicked He's that into the stratosphere. Do you remember when we were having 19 race seasons in general and we're thinking, golly, this is a lot of Grand Prix. And we yeah, lost like, two this year. We, yeah, we, this was me- this was this was meant to be a twenty four race season. You, you you ended up with twenty two, and back then, I wasn't sure that Vettel's thirteen and Schumacher's thirteen they had from two thousand and four and and um twenty thirteen would ever be tops. He's added fifty percent to that record. I, I mean, you talk about the the pantheon of all time great Formula One cars. I mean, this has left. Cars like the F2004, the F2002. That was a car. Pretty good car. Um, The The W11. The the W11, I mean... The holy grail of the Merckx turbo era. (laughs) I would still argue it's the 07. I mean, it's this and the 07. And very similarly, just if they weren't the ultimate over a single lap, they would tear the field to pieces over a stint, and that's where they pay the points. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, it was it was almost shocking to see, like in the last two races of this year, Ferrari could just about hold on to them over a lap, even beat them in the right conditions. Sure, Charles has they... five poles this year. Yeah, and Charles Leclerc is an extraordinary qualifier. We know that the, one of the best I've ever seen. And if nothing else, that Ferrari power unit generated a hell of a lot of horsepower over one lap. Mm. And it didn't matter worth a damn. Because as soon as they bolted on the harder tires, as soon as the race pace came into it, the Red Bulls just motored off into the distance. Yep, it was all they had. And uh, yeah, it's, it sums up the last the last two years of Max Verstappen. This is his magnum opus. I, I Again, it, it's, it's, it's genuinely... How does one top this? It's genuinely mathematical, mathematically difficult for him to ever top this. It's virtually impossible. Like he's pushed some of these records so high up, like, like scoring ninety-two percent of all the points in a season in a season that has twenty-two Grand Prix and six sprints. That's virtually unstoppable. Like, 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 you you'd have to be winning twenty-one out of twenty. He's probably going to have to win twenty-three out of twenty-four next year to top that. Trey, what's better than losing one race across a season? You tell me, Cam. <laughs> Going perfect on the season. That's they all that's get, left. They can get Singapore in. You know, we'll have a couple of new ones in there. You know, it's it's going to be... You know, we haven't raced in China in four it, years. That could be it interesting. Can, it cannot happen like this. I know this makes me sound like a hater, but for the sake of everybody else's enjoyment, Ferrari, Mercedes, McLaren, Aston Martin, Alpine, we need you to get your shit together. I'm 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 gonna stop you right there, Alpine. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, and, and at the end of the day. I mean, Dre, I've I've brought this up in the server God, a dozen different times. Mm. This season was over the day they rolled that car off the truck. 
We just did not it. We were like, oh, we were, I did. Well, you did. And... I, I, I mean, I was in your WTF1 chat going, yeah, we're fucked. Field's fucked. Yeah. Year's yeah. over. And yeah. it actually was better than I thought it was going to be, mm. but only on account of the fact that Ferrari and Mercedes made zero progress over last year. And it took yep. them until very late this season to actually get any understanding out of their cars. Yep. Um, yeah. Man, what, what a season. What a year. Oh, yeah. Last, and in this race, you know, all, he, all the pressure he faced was Charles Leclerc on the first phase of the state of the race. And other than that, smooth sailing from there. Uh, oh, I, I love the post-race interview with Charles Leclerc. He's just like, well, why didn't you go? Why weren't you more aggressive on lap one? Yeah, he would have got me in three or four laps anyway. Draw. I think well, I mean, it's just like it, it is what it is. As for Sappen was having more of an intriguing chat with Fernando Alonso about what they do if they were matching up in GT3 cars. <laughs> that would be fun. So let's quickly tie up some of the loose ends behind this race and the rest of the championship because there was a semi-intriguing fight behind them. There was a fight for second in the Constructors' Championship. Mercedes and Ferrari have four points between them going into this one. There were ramifications. Now, Charles Leclerc, I love Charles. The man's got a racing brain. With three laps to go, he clocks the situation. He knows Perez is on a time penalty. He's got. He's been given a five-second time penalty for a collision with Lando Norris. We'll get to that in a minute. But he said to his team, keep an eye on the gap. I'm going to let Perez through, and I'm going to try and back Russell up um, and try and find a sweet spot where he could possibly re-overtake Perez on time, but keep Russell behind him, so that would give him enough of the point swing to put Ferrari back ahead of Mercedes in the Constructors' Championship. Didn't quite work out. Perez finished 3.9 seconds ahead in the end, and once the five-second time penalty kicked in, it bumped both Leclerc and Russell back onto the podium in second and third. Perez would end up fourth. Um, Mercs, that would be enough but behind Lewis Hamilton's ninth place his worst finish of the year over the line funnily enough um, Mercedes took second in the Constructors by just three points what did you make of the gamesmanship and Perez's penalty uh, I love I love the sicko behavior behind this Charles Leclerc is playing 820D chess I love that man. He's, I love like the said, racing he, he, awareness to know he's, that he's got a racing brain. Execute he has he has five brain cells, and they are all devoted to racing. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it is. Uh, Lewis and Carlos picked a hell of a weekend to lay enormous eggs. Because really, it came down to the fight. Obviously, four points up for Mercedes going into this race. And it came down really to Charles and George. Um, George Russell actually had a pretty good weekend to close out the year, considering how. His best of the season for me. I would say so. Considering the, the junk that he was producing for most of the season. Um, good way to end out the year. Carlos signs. Dreadful. Maybe his horrible. worst weekend in Formula One. This is that why was... people believe Carlos signs ain't him. This this is exactly why people like me are a bit more cynical about signs. I know people that are even more worse than me on this one. Like, look, I think Charles Leclerc is a better Ferrari driver, and I've I've said this from day one re regarding the two of them and their combination together. 
but this was horrific from Carlos Sainz all weekend long. Yes, he may have had a small excuse in qualifying because he did have a front wing problem that his team had to fix, but he still got, unfortunately, it compromised his entire qualifying session. But even I mean, so... He was bounced in Q1. He was bounced in Q1, but and then like he tried going hard, hard, and then obviously tried to wait for a safety car that never came in the end. Um, but his pace, like... Ferrari had to run hard, hard at him, but Ferrari's got no pace on the hard tire anyway. So Sainz was just a sitting duck. He started 16th. He would have finished 16th, but he was parked with a lap to go anyway because there was no point in even trying a fastest lap attempt because he wouldn't have gotten the point for it anyway because he was 16th on the road. Horrific. They wouldn't have been taking it off Mercedes because it was in the possession of one Max Verstappen because, you know, he needs more points this year. Um, Yeah. I I do like the gamesmanship from Charles. I do think he played it a little bit too soft. I agree. When he did it. If you're going to commit to being a sicko, be a sicko. Do what Checo did in this very Grand Prix two years ago. <laughs> Reback that motherfucker up. It's like he still wanted to finish second and still try to find a way to keep George behind him. That was never going to work. Either be prepared to well, give well, that up. Was it. Unfortunately, yeah. like that, yeah. that was the point. He was going to lose the points either way uh, at that yeah. point, because Perez, Perez is just quicker than the both of them down the stretch anyway, because he was on fresher tires and a faster car. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Great awareness. Fantastic awareness of the situation and, and, and playing clever with the, with, with the time differences and whatnot. I love that about Charles. Like I said, he's, he's got a racing brain. Not many people have that. Um, so that kind of situational awareness. You can't teach that. That's that's instinct. And uh, that's very impressive in, from a driving standpoint. Um, a quick a quick mention from me. I think Perez's penalty was bullshit. I, I think that was a very, very harsh penalty. Um, you know, Trey, we had, we've had three Abu Dhabi Grand Prix in a row with incidents at that corner, and all three of them were ruled differently. No further action in 2021. Hamilton being told to give the place back last year, and Perez getting a five-second penalty for causing a collision this year. Knock whappy. No one knows what a penalty is, baby. Yeah, it's uh, it's another one that a cl- I mean, you can kind. I, I mean, look, as a big football fan, I will be the first person to say that insulting the officials is something that we should not do in sports because. Um, for those who don't know, football has a big refereeing problem right now where people do not want to be referees in this country anymore. Uh, and no shit, they get abused every single week. They're, they're expected to be perfect. They get, enough from, they get enough from people like us who don't even play the game, man. Right. And yeah, that alone, fans and opposing players who get they get abused as part of their job. It's universally accepted as a part of football, and I can't stand the fact that that's the case. Like I've all I've tried mentioned on Twitter before, I try very hard not to insult the officials because I'd I'd then be part of the problem. Because why would anybody want to be a ref in those sorts of conditions? It doesn't help. It doesn't solve anything. But I can understand why Sergio Perez was so frustrated at the end of the race and ended up facing the stewards himself and was given a formal warning because he said the stewards were not Formula One standard and said that it was a joke that uh, he'd been given that penalty. Now, look, 
I think it was a harsh call. I don't think that was a penalty, in my opinion. I think that was a classic case of rubbing his racing. Perez made the corner. He kept all four wheels in bounds. Yes, there was a bit of contact, but I don't think it warranted Norris cutting the corner in reply um, to try and maintain position. But, you know, I, I can get why Checo is so frustrated because, as I've said many a time, on and this year has been the worst of it as I can remember, no one knows what a penalty is, and it's infuriating. I mean, a, a, a quick track back for a second. This is exactly why Gunther Steiner lodged his right to review on the US Grand Prix. It wasn't because he thought he was going to win. It's because he wanted to expose the fact that the entire system is fucking broken. <laughs> like, hence what led to that steward's outburst at the end of the statement saying... We strongly recommend a solution is found because we can clearly see he's cut the corner, but we can't adjudicate based on it. You know, uh, I, I just don't understand. I mean, we fired Michael Massey and penalty, and, and stewarding still isn't fixed. No more human error champions. No more human error podiums or top 10 finishes or anything like that. That was supposedly the gambit, right? Hey, what on the subject of like uh, back in the wagon up going in turn five? Would you make of old friends Hamilton and Alonso doing that shit earlier in the race? I I, I do. I, I, old I, dirty bastards. Old dirty <laughs> bastards, both of them. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was less a brake test and more uh, DRS chess, as we've seen in the past. Mm. Still not the biggest fan of it. I hate it. Mm. But uh, I, I get why it's done, but I hate it. Mm. It's dangerous. Yeah. Um, they're really, if you're going to start cracking down on something, start cracking down on the DRS chess. Yeah. Uh, you can't do anything about the detection point. You've got to put it somewhere, but it's, 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 it's silly that um, we're seeing incidents where drivers are deliberately either slowing down or trying to gain an advantage by quickly whacking the brakes in a, in a shock scenario to try and, get drs for the next zone i I don't like it i I get the cleverness of it um but i am not a fan of it i think it's dangerous it's needlessly dangerous in my opinion if you're behind you're behind suck it up these two Um, have been doing this shit for 10 years it's the same thing that went down in canada 2013 i remember that it's been going on for 15 years after after their first year working together didn't go so great (laughs) <laughs> old dirty bastards 42 and f- they have a combined age of 80 lewis hamilton is 39 in january they're uh, the they're the old men at the rec play who just play the dirtiest brand of basketball yeah they're, they're gonna kick you in the nuts there's gonna be a throat punch in there somewhere uh all the dirt there's the thumb foul. in the eye <laughs> yeah it's a, it's, a, it's a thumb in the eye etc um, a quick rundown of some of the extra fights we talked about from last week just to clear it up. Um, Mercedes, as mentioned, did end up second in the constructors in the end. They beat Ferrari 409 to 406. Yeah, we've Actually, all been talking about like the saddest second place in the driver's champion of Sergio Perez. We need to talk more about the saddest second place in the constructors with the W13. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, <laughs> let's, let's call a spade a spade. The W14's competitive career came to an end today because today yeah. was the post-season test. Mm-hmm. It ended with a catastrophic mechanical failure pitching George Russell into a wall. The car, this- gave, the car gave itself a Viking burial. <laughs> yeah, one last, one last fuck you out the door. This car was pants. 
It was just and in instant. fact, <laughs> you do need a wind tunnel to see that. This girl yes. is so ass. How did Ferrari not beat them? Yeah, I tell because you the, what, the, we, we Ferrari, said it. Because Ferrari's start of the year was so bad and they, they gave up, they coughed up key points <laughs> down the clutch. <laughs> yeah, Dre, we talked about it. It came to pass, those 18 points, potentially, that uh, got left on the table in Brazil with that DNS. Crippling. Yeah. yeah. I mean, bo- and both teams. Both teams did their ad- ad- put burning the midnight oil to try and throw away P2 in the Constructors' yeah. Championship. Hamilton, Lu- had a, Hamilton had an awful end of the year. George has been below par all year long. Hamilton ran out of steam in the last four races of the year. <laughs> Yeah, last three races of the year, Lewis, um, nothing. Carlos Sainz was either blue hotter than the surface of the sun or colder than Pluto. Charles Leclerc's car had a mixture of uh, explosions, crashes, and more explosions. Mm -hmm. And George Russell, um, well, he went for the gap. If you know, you know. If you know, yeah, it's it's rough out here. So yeah, Mercedes beats Ferrari by three. Both both teams will have years to forget um, on that one. Um, McLaren did hold off Aston Martin in the end. Aston Martin did have, did have a bit of a late surge towards the end, but uh, sadly Alonso and Stroll couldn't do enough uh, on the last day to potentially upset the apple cart. McLaren wins the fight for fourth with 302 to Aston Martin's 280 um, in the end. Now, I think Aston Martin's going to be like, it's going to be a very interesting end of season dialogue between Aston Martin and their shareholders. Cause you got, you got to think, <laughs> my God, this is still a, a massive improvement on the year, but how much did they leave on the table? Can you imagine yeah, if man, you McLaren. if you had a team that had Aston Martin's first half of the season and McLaren's second half of the year? My God, that might that might challenge for second in the constructors. It, they it, would have it, won, they would have gotten second easy, in a canter. Easy, like, like McLaren, <clears throat> like McLaren had seventeen points as a team through the first eight rounds. They ended on three hundred and two. They were tracking for a five hundred and fifty point season. Yeah, so McLaren started off with McLaren started off with debatably the worst car in Formula One and had it for seven races. And Aston Martin lost their way in development mid year. Makes me worry a lot for next year's Aston because the primary, you know, meat of the development of next year's car will have been taking place while they were dicking around mid season. And that's a terrifying thing about it from a Mercedes standpoint. Mercedes at no point were the best team on their own power unit and they still shithoused the second place purely because of lack yeah. of errors. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's wild that that turned out. I don't think Mercedes, for a consistent period of time, ever had the second best car in F1 this year. I mean, a, not, a for more than, rounds. not for more than two races at a time. No, at, at no point. Like it, it, it's just a fa- and and for all the talk that Mercedes had operational issues and believe believe me they do. Um, they're not the perfectly oiled machine that they were maybe five or six years ago. No. but operationally they st- they looked mighty relative to Ferrari, who again bad strategies, god awful tire wear for most of the season. People and say that Ferrari strategy is a is a tired meme. Well, it, it well, it's it, it's it, not going to be a tired meme until Ferrari stops doing it. 
Yeah, yeah. For, um, yeah. Dallas Cowboy fans don't get pent up about it because their team hasn't won a Super Bowl in 25 years, even though they are the Tiffany brand of the NFL. Yeah, Look, they had pathetic pace on the hard tires relative to their medium pace. So, of course, they ran Carlos Sainz on the hard tire for the entire race. <laughs> I, just, I just don't understand that. You know you've sucked on your hards all year so that you run two hard stints in the race. And, and, no, and you stretched no them looking for a safety car that, that never came. It's, it's that just, that oh. was the only play. But even then, I mean, it, without Nicholas Latifi in the field, it was always a long shot. Yeah, and, and then here in the here in the chat says yeah, then only got a second because Hamilton was consistent all year. Don't get me wrong, bad ending, but Hamilton was incredible this year. Again, yeah. like just you just cut out the final all year long. Yeah, you cut out that final five race stretch. He's still, for my money, cleanly the second best driver in the field. Absolutely, um, he minimizes mistakes. He's able to get the most out of his car whenever he can. We're not, a mass, we're not an MV33 fan podcast, okay? In no, case you no. needed any reinforcement of that. I love yeah, this dude. Let, yeah, let, look get, look let, at it like yeah. this. I mean, you, you have to take you have to take the end the these two teams fighting for second. The only one who I'd say showed up across the entire year and, and the driver's seat was probably Charles. And he had enough unreliability that it ended up more or less coming out to a wash. George yeah, Russell was a mess this year. Yeah, George, sophomore slump for a Mercedes for him. More on that in our season review in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, yeah this um, is starting to sound like a season review, but let's tie it up with uh, the middle class. Yeah, the, the fight the, for seventh uh, in the end. The wooden spoon. Yeah, like, like, like Haas are now confirmed the best worst F1 team of all time. There's no bottom runner in the championship has ever scored as many as 12 points. And, and yet people there's no to, dead last. And yet people say. try and tell us that Formula One was more competitive 30 years ago when the worst teams in the sport were failing to qualify for races. No, they were failing to qualify for qualifying. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Pre-qualifying exit. Yeah, in the fight for seventh in the end, Williams did just enough to hold on. Yuki Tsunoda had a fantastic race. He really like AlphaTauri went, went, went with the bold all-out strategy of going for a one-stopper. Yuki's pace was genuinely excellent. He tried. The, the hards didn't quite hold on all the way to the end. He still took home eighth place, which I think is his best finish of the year. Um, or tied his best finish of the year in Kota. Um, it wasn't quite enough. AlphaTauri only had 25 points to Williams, 28. A phenomenal year for James Vowles at Williams. That is an incredible accomplishment to get off the bottom so comfortably in the end. They, they were um, such a good last. You know, I talked about being a better last going into this year. Well, they were such a good last that they weren't last, second last, or third last. Dude, it got to the point where Williams scoring points for much of the season wasn't a surprise anymore. Yeah. And we just think about a couple of years ago, we would be we would just treat it like we are, like we just won the war if Williams had scored points in a dry race. Yeah, I right. mean, look at the, the the sheer level of poor judgment required in Germany 2019 to salvage a single point from that pile of junk. Yeah, look. yet this is a, here this we is are, a, this a is genuine a midfield contender. 
This is a team that spent four out of the previous five seasons stone dead last in the championship and they finished seven. That's a phenomenal job by James Rouse. He's come in and he's immediately changed the culture of the team. I've, I know people that work in that Williams team, they speak glowingly of James Rouse and not just like he apparently he gives incredible speeches. He's a proper team guy. He's in the trenches. Everybody loves him at Grove He's right the person now. But- they needed. And that's been borne out with their results over the last year. And Alex Albon, low Great key season. driver of the year contender because he yeah. Great put in a stint this season. Yeah, he put that team on his back. Twenty-seven out of their twenty-eight points came from him. Um, more on that. Again, more on that on next week's show. But shout out to him, AlphaTauri salvage eighth place. I in tell the you NFL. what, oh. again, not a bad salvage job from AlphaTauri, given how pants they were for three quarters of the season. Yeah, they've done well to come back out of that. And a salute to Franz Tost in his final race this weekend as a, as team principal before moving on. Laura Meckes has got a hell of a gig to follow up with um, in that house. Franz has been has brought up some of the greatest F1 drivers we've ever seen in this sport of um, yeah. and turned this team into a race-winning team. And that takes some doing, without question. Um, he's done a remarkable... I'm glad he got a nice bit of fanfare on the way out as a part of the traveling circus. I think it was like 27, 28 years um, in that, in that camp. Like it would have been um, so, it would have been so rough if like this year, had, you know, this last year of him running this, the ship would have ended just as terribly as it did. And like, you know, I'll bite something Dre from one of your colleagues, uh, Scott Mitchell, mom, like, yes, mm. Yuki Sonoda will have regrets about how Mexico city went down. Absolutely. That hurts me. But it over, but you've got to take stock of the fact that with without him, when you consider all the turmoil in that other seat, would AlphaTauri even have a chance at fighting for seventh in the championship to begin no, with? They wouldn't have. And, and no again, chance. Yuki Tsunoda was—he wasn't perfect. He still got some edges to clean up, but his raw speed this year and much indeed, improved. I, I don't think the raw speed was being able to harness it. And being able to race with it, he was so much better this year than the last year. And really, last year, talking about 2022, a little bit unlucky, given mm-hmm. how much Alpha Tauri was just awful. Mm-hmm. And the couple of times he wasn't, uh, well, one of them, his rear wing disintegrated. Yeah. They had to put it back together with duct tape. But uh, and, and this weekend, with a major upgrade on the car, which is really more of a trial for their 24 car. Um, they had a genuine turn of pace, and Yuki Tsunoda was emphatically quicker than Daniel Ricardo all weekend. Yeah, yeah, great. We know Daniel great Ricardo job from is Yuki. in that. He's in that fight for the Red Bull seat next year. Yeah, great fight from you, from Yuki. Like, like I can only echo Cam's sentiment. Far more consistent this year. Far less mistakes. No matter what you say about the quality of the opposition in the other chair, this was a much more consistent far less error-prone Yuki Tsunoda, and and that is a big step in the right direction that I hope we can continue with, because next year will be another big test to be having a full season with Daniel Ricciardo rather than just the slumps of a guy that came in halfway through the year. That's going to be fascinating to see how that turns out, um, to see if, one, Daniel still has it with a full off-season in the, in the wings, or is Yuki improving to the point where he could be a viable contender for a Red Bull seat? It's going to be fascinating to see. It's going to be uh, fascinating to see what they call this team next year. Racing Bulls, Bulls Racing, Team Fans. Uh, I hear that's- 
Hugo's Hugo Boss, uh, whatever we're calling it. Yeah. Uh, let's uh, let's go a bit. You know, I know we don't talk about Formula Two all the time, but we got to give a shout out to Mister Pom de Terre himself. You know, Ryan King called it when he got up to F three. Teo Porcher was going to be that guy, and it turns out in his third season at the age of twenty, Teo Porcher won the 2023 Formula 2 championship and went down to the wire against Frederick Fest, who had six wins on the season, by the way. And ART Grand Prix, Teo's team also won the team's title over Prima. But it's led to immediate fan frustration that, barring a miracle, this will be the third year in a row that the Formula 2 champion doesn't get an immediate F1 seat, following Oscar Piastri, who had to spend a year as Alpine's reserve, uh, posted, <laughs> made the funniest social media tweet of 2022 and Felipe Drakovic, who seems content to wait around for reserve opportunities rather than try and get a seat in another championship. So Dre, I'll kick it over to you. Just how much of a bottleneck problem does Formula One have a big one or an enormous one? <laughs> this is a problem. This is a serious problem. And look, I will happily say this at the top of this little conversation rather than at the end there is no easy way of fixing this i don't think there is a way of fixing this i think even if some people said why don't you just let andretti in and i'm like well andretti's gonna bring in their own dudes uh, and andretti's that's a factory gonna, team that's that's not going to solve the issue long term either it's just gonna it's just gonna delay it for another couple of years look 60 percent of this current grid are junior ladder graduates from 2016 or later so the last seven seasons, twelve of the uh, I've got drivers that have twelve out of the current twenty seats, including Logan Sargent, who was the latest graduate this year. Like this, we're stacked. I've said it many a time on this show, and I've said it on Twitter a few times before on the website as well. We were spoiled. We were spoiled with junior talent from twenty fourteen onwards. Verstappen, Leclerc, the class of 2018 with Norris, Albon, and Russell. Carlos Sainz is in the middle of that. You know, Esteban Ocon's in the middle of that. You know, it's had a huge knock-on effect on other younger drivers' careers. Cannabilo, a fantastic driver, never made it. Oscar Piastri had to do a year on the pine. There would have been every chance he would have never been in an F1 seat if it wasn't for Zach Brown and is fucking around and actually getting lucky yeah, and finding out. If it wasn't for Daniel Ricciardo being that poor um, at McLaren. I mean, Dre, it's a problem. We, we, we've hit, we hit such, a, uh, such a, a rich vein of talent, and all of them are there, and all of them are there to stay. Right. Because like, for st like, you're not going to slot a Verstappen or a Leclerc or a Russell out of their seats. For the foreseeable good. future, they're your franchise guys. And it's like, because four or five of them hit Formula One all at once, well, now everyone's timers are off because those guys aren't going anywhere. And that just yeah. takes good, viable seats out of the rotation. In a series yeah. that already has too few seats. Yeah. 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 And look, having Andretti there wouldn't hurt, but I don't think it would help very much either. I think we, we would still eventually have this problem. Like, I mean, you look at the situation and... and Almost every driver has at least one stable drive, like as one staple seat and one franchise driver that they can rely on. Red Bull has Verstappen. Ferrari has two of them. Mercedes has two of them. McLaren has two of them. Aston Martin has Fernando Alonso, who's still balling at 42, and the safest seat in Formula 1 with Lance Stroll alongside him. 
Williams has Albon. Haas, Nico Hulkenberg's had a very good season. Hulkenberg's been excellent. Nico Hulkenberg. Still good. Just still good. Absolutely curb stomped Kevin Magnussen this year. Yeah. And K Mag was a staple guy until this year. Like, like, like Alfa Romeo have Valtteri Bottas, who again was fine, but he was driving for a shit team this year. Like, it's it. These are staple dudes. And look, I we we we've also glossed over the fact that we have had other drivers come in from Formula Two and make the step up. But Mick Schumacher's not going to be on the grid next year. He might be transitioning out of Formula One as it currently stands. Nick DeVries, we've already kind of alluded to it, and his championship runner-up, Nicholas Latifi, is not doing racing. Liam Liam Lawson didn't didn't do enough to make the cut. He'll be a reserve driver again. And, like, how long does Lawson have to wait? Like, it's... Look, look, and Theo Porcher is the walking example of this problem. Like, I love Theo Porcher, right? And, look, Unfortunately, there's a lot of people that swear by junior racing who know wheel on Twitter who are adamant that if you win a title in your third year, you're not good enough for Formula One. Which but that's the other problem. None yeah. of the other third year, fourth year champions were 20 years old. People forget that Teo Porsche broken after even he was 16. You see, still the youngest Formula Two race winner of all time at 17. And now his reward is going to be going through the Liam Lawson, Stoffel Van Dorn, Pierre Gasly finishing school because it's soon going to be announced that he'll be driving for Team Impul and Toyota, effectively creating a trade where Teo Porcher and Ayumu Wasser are going to go to Super Formula in exchange for Rotoma Miata, their champion, going to F2. Why? We just keep it. It's a cool trade. It's a cool trade. It's a cool trade. It's it's a cool trade. The problem is, is that Fiopo Share should have been an F one two years ago, in my opinion. I think his his rookie season and his follow up with Drogovic in twenty twenty two was enough to get him in. But then two different team principals, Fred Vassar when he was still there at Alfa Romeo, and now Andreas Seidel, who's one of the best in the biz and is now CEO of that entire team, looked at the situation and rather keep Joe Guan Yu over Fiat Porcher. And I think that's crazy, in my opinion. I think that's bonkers to me that we're that, that, that Joe got the pick twice over. Because I, I also think another problem here is that teams are becoming risk-averse. They would rather have the devil they know than the devil they don't. And that's part of the problem. Like it might that might just save Logan Sargent in the end because there is realistically no better replacement right now. Unless uh, yeah, Mercedes would have had an opportunity to go with the guy that was winning the most races in what was then GP two at the time, uh plug him into that Williams seat. But they passed it up. And that's why instead of Sam Bird, Williams got Felipe Massa to partner Valtteri Botas in twenty thirteen. I don't think they're gonna have a change of heart. 11 when, years later. Well, and Mercedes have been arguably the most risk averse out of all of them, where they've been hesitant to, they were hesitant to put people into their technically junior team in F1, and then really hesitant to move them up to the main team. They passed over Esteban Ocon and Pascal Verline and just about got away with it with George Russell. And that was a big gamble to put George Russell in that seat, given the Williams sample size was riddled with question marks. But Dre, it's different now because Andrea Kimi Antonelli is him. He's the, he's the guy that all the people who know Wheel uh, that follow the junior say, he's good enough to where you could just look, overlook everybody else in the junior formula ladder because he's the one guy that's actually worth it. 
He's got he's got he's got to walk into the same team as Ollie Behrman next year. Good luck. <laughs> Ollie That's Behrman, who was the series top rookie. Yeah, and is already being eyed up by Haas right now because they are very high on Behrman from what I've been told. Like if Behrman doesn't fuck up Formula Two next year, he'll be in the Haas in twenty twenty five. I'm, I'm, I would pin my I would pin my flag to the mast on that right now. Even on this if he podcast. finishes top, th- if he f- just finishes top three in the championship, yeah. I think he's got that hot seat. That would, that would be more than enough. Yeah, top three would be would be fine. That would be more than enough. And Behrman probably gets in over whether whether Hulkenberg gets pinched because apparently Sauber want him back over there as a safe pair of hands because they like Hulkenberg. They've worked with him before. Talk, talk about risk averse. Yeah, like risk averse. You're going for 38 year old Nico Hulkenberg again. Like, like, like Nico Hulkenberg is, but the problem is Nico Hulkenberg is still cooking. Yeah, I, I, I can't blame them because Hulkenberg was really good this year. <laughs> he stood out in the worst car in Formula One this year. Like he had eight. Was it was it eight Q3 appearances in the worst car in F1? <laughs> well, it does go well over a single lap, although the tires have already gone off by the fifth corner. It's yeah. the rot's real. It's like who's who's what's what's the interest level in Formula Three where mid-level freaking prospects are jumping up two tiers that they really shouldn't because they're not getting enough trap time in F three. I, I don't get it. Like there's there's good. Look, this, this is the bottleneck. Like I, I get why Andrea Kimi Antonetti is jumping up two tiers. But I also fear you're setting him up to fail by putting him in a primacy against Oddie Behrman straight away at age 17. That is risky. Like, 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 don't get me wrong. You've got time. The problem is, Theo Porcher had time. And that didn't work out for him either. And Mercedes have got two franchise drivers in their seats right now. Lewis Hamilton is still one of the best drivers in the world. George Russell's had a bit of a slump this year, but we know George Russell is better than what he's shown this year. In an ideal world, that could be their team for the next five years. Minimum. Hamilton says he wants five more years. He's prepared to race to his mid-40s. If that happens, what do you do with Antonelli then? Where does what he do go? Do, what do you do if you're Gabriel Bortoletto, who's already being overshadowed, and he just won the 4-3 championship? Oh, he's a McLaren junior now. Oh, good luck over there, buddy. Like, yeah, yeah, the be- yeah. having the McLaren, best young team in Formula One. <laughs> yeah, if, if Mercedes could go another five years on their lineup, McLaren could go another 10 on theirs minimum. McLaren has what has arguably a top two or three driver lineup in Formula One. Its average age is 22 and a half. Good luck. Like, <laughs> what are we doing Correction, here? They could go another 15 years mm. on that same driver lineup. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it, it's, 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 it's the sport is too good. It is too good for its own good. Look, right now, Nika Hulkenberg had a fantastic season in Formula One. Objectively, by the eyes of most pundits, he was he was the 16th best driver in Formula One this year. That's the bar. Hulkenberg was was number 16 in this. If Hulkenberg is the series 16th best driver, we are fucked. Honestly, and that's, and that's not against Hulk, who, again, has been brilliant this year. That's just the quality of the field. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's one of the deepest fields we've had. Ever. If Hulkenberg's your 16th best driver, what are He's we doing here? Because, <laughs> like, uh, unfortunately, Lance Stroll and Kevin Magnussen spent a fair amount of this year under the floor. Well, but that seems well. secure. Yeah. 
Yep. But their seat's a lot. Like, Sergeant might be the one gimme. And like I said, even if they move on from Sergeant, who are you putting in with it? Like, when, when they're given, we, we've got the top three in Formula 2 this year unavailable. Unless you cut a deal with Mercedes for Frederick Vesti, maybe. But is, is, is Vesti an evil mover? Is that a sexy pick for anybody? It feels like a sunk cost fallacy problem. You're doing what you did last year with Sergeant, but you're doing it again with another guy instead. So what's the point? You might as well stick with Sergeant and see what you got for next year. <laughs> you see what I mean? It's frustrating. Uh, yeah, like, Theo Boschet should be walking into Formula One right now and he's going to be in Japan next year. No, no disrespect to Super Formula. I love it as a series and I love watching it. But it's, it, it, it's shouldn't not the be easiest there. thing to watch in the world, is it? No. The, My time as, zones. A, as a Brit, it's a bit tricky. Uh, but this, the problem is, is that Porsche shouldn't be in Super Formula. He should be in Formula One. He's yeah. more than good enough to be in Formula One. And yes, say what you will about it. We do think F1 is the pinnacle because if we didn't think it would be, we wouldn't be getting so emotionally invested in seeing young, talented, exciting prospects get into the sport. Something that just isn't happening right now. <laughs> yeah, I like it when I like it when young drivers find different ways to get to Formula One. But the problem is nobody is finding any way to get to Formula One right now. And it's partially a good thing that the Formula One grid is so good. You know, say what you will, you know, the worst drivers on this year's grid, miles away. It would run rings around the worst drivers of 20 years ago. Yeah, back when we last had this problem where nobody was moving up and the ones that were moving up were not that good. Yeah. And I mean it's just when the when we've talked at length on the show about the rot that has set in and every path to formula one outside of the official ladder well the official ladder is backed up and no other path is getting anyone into f1 before this one is how is how is moto gp able to have steady movement up and down, up, and F1 can. <laughs> uh, generally, the riders' market is a hell of a lot more volatile. Yep. Always has been. Always has been. You're much more, I mean, shorter contracts, <clears throat> more talent in the junior classes, more poaching of young junior talent. There's a more, the ladder is smoother than it's ever been with teams having you're having bikes in multiple categories now as well. I say the, um, uh, the death of the production-based ladder to MotoGP because that's been gone for about a decade now at least. Yeah, so, you know, it's... And we'll talk a bit more about that in the next episode because that will just about do it here on this one. Don't worry, Formula One fans or people that only listen to our F1 episodes, I know some of you guys are out there. We're going to take a week out after MotoGP, and then we'll be back the week after for our Formula One 2023 season review. We'll go into even more detail um, on all the runners and riders, the ups and downs and the in-betweens that was the 2023 Formula One season. But we've got one more bow to put on one more series in 2023, and that's MotoGP. And this one is industrial-sized because uh, there is a lot of shit that came out of Valencia, and I'm not just the title fight either. There's a lot to get into on that one. I look forward to being able to break it all down with you guys next time 
out. But again, places you can find us one more time, motorsport underscore 101 on Twitter, at Dre underscore WTF1, at RJ O'Connell, at CBuckley917, Motorsport 101 pod on Instagram, website motorsport101.com, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Again, early access, um, you know, live listenership all in there if you want to back us financially on there. We'll be back uh, for MotoGP later in the week. And then after that, we'll take a little week out. And then afterwards, we'll be back with our F1 and MotoGP season reviews in a couple of weeks' time. But uh, until then, I've been Dre Harrison. They've been RJ O'Connell and Cal Buckley. And until next time, sayonara. Later, y'all, from the greatest season that there ever was, Let's never do this again.